0: Morning church. Morning, morning, morning. We are uh, so glad again to have each of you here joining us here this morning. This is week three of a series called Soar. And the idea behind Soar is this, that the scriptures teach and we believe that you are made in God's image in order that you might soar, that you might be filled with the energy, the power, the love, the grace of God And that you might then demonstrate that love, that power, that grace in every circumstance, any situation. That no matter what happens to you, or what situation you find yourself in, that you are equipped to be oriented toward God, full of God, and then walk through those challenges, demonstrating something of God's character poured through your personality in your situation in your challenges, in your workplaces, in any situation you might find yourself. Now, the image behind this whole SOAR series, of course, is birds and a bird. And true confessions, I know nothing about birds whatsoever. Uh, but we have someone in our church who is actually an expert in the field. And so I had a conversation with him a couple weeks ago. I found it extremely nerdily fascinating. And so I was like, hey, how about I come and interview you as a little bit of a explanation of how birds soar and how it might fit in with what we're talking about. So Dr. John Parks, part of our church, he was the founder and director of the Cornell University Raptor program for nearly 30 years. He retired in 2017 and he founded the nonprofit Raptors Insights Incorporated which is all about helping to educate and conserve these these wonderful birds uh, and he's got birds of his own. I asked him if he would bring the bird in here live and have it soar around because was a phrase someone might get pooped on uh, a little bit. So uh, he's gonna do a live bird demonstration after the service, outside, as long as it's not raining. So get the kids, it's gonna be pretty cool. He's got some really cool birds. But for now, I'm gonna bring up Dr. John Parks. John, why don't you come on up here. Let's welcome John up here. Come on up, John. Just <laughs> stuff there. All right, so John, you yeah, got the mic there. You got that? Excellent. So, all right, John. So, before we get started, why don't you tell us a little bit about how did you get into uh, your nerdy love of birds? I want to hear. About, I want to hear a little about your backstory. Very nerdily. Very nerdily. Okay, great, perfect. Yes.
1: When I ever since I was a young boy, I would always spend my time, free time, in the fields and streams and woods around my home, and birds seemed to be always there for the taking and observing and so forth. And so I was sort of interested in them from a very early age. Well, I came to Carolina as an undergraduate in 1969, and um, one of my professors was doing research on behavior in birds of prey, and he actually had hawks and falcons and so forth in his laboratory set up to do these various studies, and I I was just fascinated by being in that kind of proximity to the birds. But, you know, fast forward a bit, I took a job at Cornell University, which was world-renowned for a conservation of peregrine falcons and other birds and uh, they were kind of winding down a big program there and looking for somebody to make use of the facilities and that's how I arrived at the things that uh, Alex mentioned earlier. So I've been involved with raptors in a major way for most of my professional career and Still, still pretty involved
0: with them. Yeah, still do. You can't, you can't get away from the birds. So uh, you, you give us a little, a little bird video here. So one, you, we're talking some about how birds soar and, okay. and the, the makeup. And so, why don't you just kind of give us a quick overview of how birds actually soar, how does soaring actually happen?
1: Okay, let me do that. Okay, you got okay. that. All right. Well,
0: there are, there are many types of flights for any
1: bird, raptors in particular. Why do we choose raptors? Well, because they're cool, for one thing. That's amen. And, and, they, and they soar, and they're one of the... Uh, Uh, excellent soaring birds that we have. So you see these birds, their species are labeled, so you can see which ones are local, uh, which ones are international, and so forth. But one of the things they're all doing at some point in the video is soaring. There are different types of flight. In birds, you have got hovering, uh, gliding, diving, uh, all kinds of flights, but all of those types of flights take energy and effort on the part of the bird to to conduct those types of flying methods or styles, but soaring is different. The, the energy for soaring comes from an external source. It comes from uh, air rising and lifting the bird up. That can be thermals rising, warm air rising, or it can be wind updrafts off of the side of a mountain or in other, some other type of uh, structure, and the birds innately can find those and use those to elevate themselves up and be up above their surroundings. There's a lot of benefits to them for doing that. Uh, one of the benefits is it's cooler up there, so they can. it's a mechanism for cooling. Uh, another thing is that it gives them more time aloft and more distance traveled with less energy because the wind or the air that's rising is providing that. And then the other thing that they uh, The benefit that they get from it is that it rises rises them up above the canopy. So with their excellent vision, uh, with their exquisite memory, they can purvey their surroundings and they can navigate to just about anywhere within hundreds of miles many times. And so in addition to that, they can use that to purvey their surroundings for hunting and and capturing the food that they eat. So soaring is, is a great benefit to them. It's not just a luxury. When you see them in this video, for example, we're going to see the various species species, uh, soaring. The hallmark of soaring is having the wings stationary and spread out as much as possible to catch that air that's rising, like a kite or an umbrella that's caught a breeze. And so the hallmark is that they have that steady wing extended and spread uh, with very little flapping. You'll notice they're not having to beat their wings very much, and that's a huge conservation of energy when they do that. And of course they use their tail and their wings to guide themselves. There's a little bit involved with with their own physicality there but by and large they uh, uh, they can just stay aloft and soar and travel that way for sometimes hours and hours and even days. That's pretty awesome.
0: So you you had some biblical tie-ins in terms of the geography of the Holy Land in the Middle East that you know soaring comes up multiple times throughout the scripture, and so uh, there's a reason for that, perhaps. So why don't you tell us a little bit about okay. the geography of the Middle East and how sort of the bird migratory patterns kind of take them through that.
1: So so this is a layman's view, and, and Alex will straighten you out on it later, I'm sure. But one of the most spectacular aspects of soaring is during the migration. Raptors, birds of prey, um, hawks, eagles, falcons, vultures or honorary raptors, they all soar and most of them migrate, and when they migrate, they migrate in mass, uh, particularly in the fall of the year, but in the spring, they come back. And so during that process, they're often soaring. They're utilizing soaring to conserve energy. And that allows them to uh, soar for long distances without expending a lot of energy until they get to their overwintering ground. Sometimes that covers two or more continents to get there and back uh, where they overwinter. And so uh, soaring is utilized in that way as well. So there are, you know, the, the mountains and the, the seashore and all of these contours create what are called flyways that are optimal for soaring. You know, the, they're geological structures that allow for updrafts and allow for rising air. So they create optimal conditions for these birds to soar and they soar in large numbers. And they, they sort of get funneled by these natural structures uh, into flyways that have hawk watches and hawk sites all over the country, all over the world. So you can go to these. Probably the most famous one near us is Hawk Mountain, Pennsylvania, which uh, you may have hundreds or even thousands of birds coming through there in a day or two. Uh, And over the course of the whole migration, the whole fall migration, of course, there'll be many more than that. But the largest of these flyways is actually in northern uh, Israel. And we don't normally think of Israel as maybe being a wildlife kind of a sanctuary, but this is the largest and most spectacular migration of not just raptors, but all migrating uh, waterfowl and many other species of birds migrate through that area. If you think about what Israel is geographically or geologically, it's sort of a narrow strip of, slip of land, strip of land between Eurasia to the north and Africa to the south. And so these birds funneled down through that little strip of land, Israel, near Galilee, in fact, in the uh, Hula Valley, I believe it's called. And so it's the type of thing, I, I guess, in thinking about this uh, from a personal perspective, it's the type of thing where if you were an Israelite, uh, you know, this didn't just start in the 20th century. If you were an Israelite and you had this spectacular event that occurred twice a year every year, I think you would probably notice that. And so you would have some sense of, well this soaring is a pretty remarkable thing. You know, the bird comes through, it, it stops here for a while and keeps moving without having to expend very much energy. Most of the force for behind that is uh, coming from the natural world around it. And so in thinking about that and relating that then to the passages of scripture that I was familiar with uh, that talked about eagles soaring and so forth, it occurred to me that there's sort of a connection there And so, if you think about uh, God speaking through, uh, first first through Moses uh, during the Exodus, and then through Isaiah uh, during the uh, captivity in in, uh, Assyria, Uh, he was talking to people who uh, had lots of trials and tribulations because of their current state of affairs. And what did he say to them? Well, he said, those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. So in other words, trust God with the issues that you have and don't try to be so self-reliant with them. And I thought, well, that's kind of related to the way eagles soar. Because they have some sort of an ex- external source or external force that is taking care of the soaring for them. And and they're simply taking advantage that, of that. Uh, to be able to soar and live out their lifestyle. So perhaps the eagle's relying on that and not strictly or solely on its own physical ability to fly, so that was the connection I made.
0: Thank you John so much, appreciate you sharing again. Thank you, Uh, John will be outside demonstrating his fantastic raptors. I I, I stumbled upon John up in Southern Village one time with uh, some birds that looked like they could carry me away. I was a little nervous about that, but uh, he had them totally under control. And he'll be out there and uh, uh, make sure your small children are firmly attached to your bodies or hands. But uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's really cool to see him working with the birds and seeing them do their things. We believe God made you to soar. And that doesn't require circumstances or things to look good. It just requires us to be sort of positioned to catch the winds of his grace and his spirit in order that we might navigate our way through uh, through life and see things from a healthier perspective and continue to kind of walk with him through the ups and downs of life. But there's all kinds of challenges the soaring, right? All kinds of the grind of everyday life and the things in our own hearts that aren't quite right and the major setbacks we have along the way. But... As we look at these scriptures, we're looking at these stories throughout the series, different people, different circumstances, different situations, it turns out soaring is not dependent on your circumstances. You can soar through any circumstance. The question is, are you going to remain oriented, available, submitted, surrendered to the updraft of grace that God wants to pour out, is pouring out always by the power of his spirit into our lives and to enable us to soar. Have you ever had a place that was relate, that in your mind uh, is, is so tied to so many negative or hard situations that when you picture that place, it like gives you kind of like shivers. It gets almost like a, a, a physical reaction, right? That office place that was miserable, or the school that was horrible, or that house, or even that hospital that has baggage memories that are so negative that if you think about that place, it just brings back a whole truckload of things that you'd rather forget. Today, we're going to hang out with Moses at a place he'd rather forget. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 17. And if you're new to the book of the Bible, we're so glad you're here. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. And the story of Exodus is this. The, the, the people of Israel are enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years. Think about that. That's like longer than America's been a country. 400 years. They're in Egypt and they're enslaved. They cry out to God. God raises up Moses to go and set his people free. And Moses goes and does all kinds of signs and wonders. And the people are set free. They are delivered from Egypt. But there's there's hundreds of thousands of them. And they're making this long journey through the desert from Egypt to the land God promised them. And they come to a town called Rephidim. And at Rephidim, there's no water for the hundreds of thousands of people to drink. And so they get a little cranky with Moses. They're upset at Moses. They're upset at God. God goes and pray. Moses goes and prays to God. And Moses says, these people are about to stone me to death. What are you going to do? So God says, well take the staff that is in your hand, the staff that God had on signs and wonders through, and strike the rock and water will come out of the rock. And so Moses strikes the rock, water comes gushing forth, and it's all happily ever after there at Rephidim, except the people wanted to stone Moses like five minutes ago. And you thought your teenagers were hard on you. It's always a bad day when your own people turn on you. Bubba but waiting gets worse at Rephidim. It gets worse at Rephidim. and Rephidim, right after the people's near insurrection in Exodus 17, we get verse 8. And verse 8 says this. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites there, right there, at stinky old... Rephidim. This is the first conflict, the first armed conflict that the people of Israel have as they're making the way out of Egypt to the promised land. So not only is there division and dissension within, there are attacks from without. There are threats in every major category there at Rephidim. And before we go any further, I want to ask you a question. You ever spent any time in Rephidim? Ever have things so hard, so difficult, like in every major category, right? They're hard. They're difficult. It's just overwhelming, exhausting, too much. Like. And when you're at Rephidim, sometimes you don't think you're going to make it. Don't think your marriage is going to make it, or your, and or your kids are going to make it, and or your career is going to make it, and or you're going to make it financially, and or maybe someone you love is so, so sick they're at Rephidim that you're not sure they're going to make it. Or maybe you're not even sure if you're going to make it. Ever spent any time? Rephidem, the places where all the things aren't quite working out the way that you hoped, dreamed. It's just crisis and challenge and heartache in every direction and there's no way to go. Here's the bad news, my friends. Every life passes through Rephidem, every single one. And because pain is not distributed equally, right? Some of us don't stop at Rephidim. Some of us stop at Rephidim like every six weeks, you feel like you're at Rephidim. And some of us, we we only kind of pass through a little less less frequently. But all of us at some point hit these seasons where things are sort of coming apart. So it's not a question of if you end up at Rephidim. It's just a question of how often and when's the next time you're going to end up there at Rephidim. And if you're in Rephidim today, if that sort of is the picture of your life, first off, I'm praying for you. Like, man, grace and peace to you, right? On, on a hard day and a hard season and a hard situation, if you're there at Rephidim and feel like there's crisis and challenges in every possible direction, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord is with you. I'm praying for you that you might know the Lord's peace, his grace, his power, that you might even meet the Lord here in this place as a balm, a respite, a refreshment, and came to the right place because God is still God even at Rephidim. God is still God, even at Rephidim. And soaring is even available to you in Rephidim, if and as we remain oriented toward the Lord, open to the Lord, to be full of his grace and his power and his mercy. Even if it takes us through paths, we'd rather not walk just like it did for Jesus. Just like it did for Jesus. Even if it takes you through the valley of the shadow of death. Soaring is possible at Rephidim. Here is how Moses and his crew soar together. Verse 9. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. And as long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other. So his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword." All right, well, we're a couple weeks into the school year. Middle school and high school students, how many of you already have assigned a dreaded group project? Dreaded group projects? Yes, already have one or two assigned to you? Yes. How many of you love group projects? Show of hands. I see no hands. How many of you hate group projects with a biting deep passion? Yes, amen. I see some teachers with their hands up as well. When I was a a student, I hated group projects because here's the truth of the matter. group of five of you, two of you do 90% of the work. Two of you are mid in your contribution to said work. And one of you is a slacker, like letting everyone else do all the hard work. And if that was you in middle school and high school, don't talk to me, I'm still bitter at you. (laughs) Still working out forgiveness issues. I hate the group projects, and here, so here's the problem for me, and this going to be a problem for me because this, soaring is a group project, especially at Rephidim. Soaring, screw a group project, especially when you're at your worst and the most difficult situations, most difficult seasons. Soaring, here for Moses and the Israelites and for you and for me, it's going to require people coming alongside us, contributing what they have to contribute to help us to soar, Especially at Rephidim. There's four key players Moses, Joshua, Aaron, and her. And there's one remarkable little piece of equipment Moses' staff involved. And this little experiment here at Rephidim to get the people of Israel out of the trouble. And Moses is the point leader, right? He gives Joshua the order. Joshua get some guys together, get ready to go into battle. So Moses is kind of directing traffic, getting things kind of organized. And Moses says, I'm going to go to the top of the hill. Aaron and her are going to go with me. And as long as Moses' hands are up, the Israelites are winning. And when he gets tired, and he hasn't been doing his CrossFit exercises for the last six months, he's a little flabby. As he gets tired, and his arms come down, they start to lose. And as I was looking at this story, it feels a little bit like a magic trick, right? Like kind of weird, a little superstitious, whatever. So let's sort of drill down a little bit onto Moses and the staff, and I'll talk a little bit about the difference between a magic magic and a miracle. So first off, the staff, okay? So the staff was something that Moses had in his hand when God first called Moses. When God first called Moses, he's in the desert in exile, tending sheep, like 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 millions of people like uh, since who are just into oblivion. There's no reason that Moses should be known today. He was not a particularly spectacular person. He had no leadership skills. He'd been rejected by his people. And he was out in hiding and in exile. And God says, I've heard my people's cry, and I want you, Moses, to go back to Egypt, because that's where he was from, and tell the king of, of Egypt, let my people go. And Moses is like, no way, God, I'm not doing that. And God starts. God does several signs and wonders with Moses, including using his staff to convince him, I got this, I'm with you. Your staff is going to be used by you because I'm sending you to do a purpose, my purpose, to set my people free. And so the staff is this thing that God uses all throughout Moses' story to do tremendous signs and wonders for the people of of Israel, the people of Egypt, and the king of Egypt. And so throughout the story, God does these wonderful little miracles. And I want to talk about the difference. Okay, so here he is, Moses is on top of the hill, holding up the staff of God with his hands, and there's a difference between magic and a miracle. Magic is manipulating unknown powers for a personal agenda, often involving deception. Magic is sort of using unknown spiritual powers to sort of manufacture something that you want to see happen in the world, often involving deception. When I was in like middle school, high school, David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty disappear. Anyone remember this? David Copperfield, it was like a, it was like on live TV, all this hype, all this buildup. If you're younger than 40, you don't remember this, that's the time, it's cool. Just trust me. He made the Statue of Liberty disappear on national TV. He, the whole thing was amazing. It was wonderful. Like, like at, at school, everyone's talking about it. It's awe. It was fantastic. It was so wonderful. But if you Google, how did David Copperfield make the Statue of Liberty disappear, it's a, just a hoax. Right? It's just a trick. It's a, he, of course he didn't actually make it disappear. It was just sort of... The people were sitting on this, like, turntable, basically, this pivoted in the other way, and they were just like, the, the Statue of Liberty was gone. It was, it was all just a trick to increase David Copperfield's reputation as the greatest magician of his generation, which he probably was. Now, of course, not all, I want to suggest to you that not all magic is a hoax. Sometimes people call into unknown powers to try to make something happen, manufacture an outcome in the world. Here's what I want to suggest to you. If you're trying to tap into unknown spiritual powers and you think you're using them for your agenda, chances are the one who's being used is you. And the one who's being drawn drawn into an agenda is you. Into dark powers that have not come that you might have life and have it to the full, but they are powers sent to steal, kill, and destroy by one whose name is the liar, the deceiver himself, often involving deception. Magic is sort of manipulating powers to try to force further an agenda, often through deception. Miracles, on the other hand, is our cooperation with God's spirit, in God's power, in God's name, for God's agenda, to generate actual results. Moses is not trying to conjure up some sort of cheat trick. He's been called by God, filled by God's Spirit. He's been given a purpose, set my people free. Everything that Moses is doing is clearly in God's power, in God's name, in line with God's purposes in the world to set the people of Israel free. Jesus doesn't fake heal people. He actually heals people. It's not a magic trick. It's a miracle. Because when God's kingdom comes and God's will is being done, the one who is the giver of life is going to restore life to broken bodies, broken spirits, broken hearts, broken minds, broken families, broken institutions and governments and schools. God is the giver of life. And there's no question about whose power this is, what purpose is involved, and whose name is attached to it. It's God, 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 in and through Jesus. It's God, God, God at work, in and through Moses. The cool thing about God's call of Moses and Moses' staff is that neither one is spectacular, but God's doing what he's always doing, taking ordinary things and making them extraordinary. God calls Moses and says, Moses, you're in exile. You're kind of lost in the desert. I'm going to call you. I'm going to use you. I'm going to invite you into my purposes. And people are going to talk, we're talking about Moses thousands and thousands of years later because he's been faithful to the Lord and God has filled him with the Spirit. And then God says, you know what, You, you you happen to have this staff with you, great. I can use that too for my purposes. God will gather up whoever and whatever is submitted to his purposes to make his purposes, to further his purposes, sometimes even miraculously. Here's my question for you. How might you so order your life and even your tools, your things, your staff, your phone, your computer, such that if God wanted to work a miracle through you, he could? How might you so position yourself to soar alongside the updraft of the Holy Spirit? that he might pour his kind of life, his kind of glory, his kind of goodness, his kind of redemption, his kind of miracles through you. Now most of the time it doesn't look especially miraculous, but sometimes it does. And when we think about God doing a miracle, we really think about like, man, I wish God would just do a miracle and I could just sit back and watch it happen. But here's what we see throughout the scripture. God does almost nothing on his own that he can do through human beings. God does almost nothing on his own. I find that very annoying. And a little bit like there's a middle man or middle woman. Why doesn't God just cut out the middle man and middle woman, i.e. me? I'm just going to slow him down be kind of get in the way. But what God delights to do is work through human beings, made in his image. He designed this whole universe. He designed this whole world to work. You and I made in his image that we might be instruments of his miracles, his grace, his mercy. And so God does almost nothing on his own that he can pour through a human being. How do you order your life, align your life in such a way that you might soar? That is, that you might be available for God's power, God's work, God's spirit to be poured through you in any situation, in any circumstance. And sometimes you get to be part of a miracle. But that still requires risk, right? So you got Moses, who's running the point leader. Moses says, Joshua, go fight. Joshua's like, how about you go fight, bucko? And Moses is like, no, 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 Joshua, you go fight. Go get some men. And there's a real risk involved in that, right? We want a miracle to happen. We want there to be no risk involved. We want there to be no danger involved. We want there to just be like dandelions and roses and everything comes up happily ever after. But there's real risk involved. Some men are getting wounded. Maybe even some men die in the battle down there at Rephidim. But my friends, even in the midst of a miracle, there's risk involved. There's challenge involved. And there's a call on you and me to step out. We want to take a risk and see what happens. Joshua's down there fighting the battle. Moses, Aaron, and Her are up on the hill, Moses' hands holding out the staff of God that's been given to you as an instrument of grace for the people. And as Moses gets tired, that's when we start to, that's when we see the, the fullness of the good news and the hard news for some of us that Soaring is a group project. When Moses' arms get tired, the first thing they do is they put a stone underneath Moses. Of course, it's a place to sit down, right? It's a little bit easier to kind of like hold something up if you're sitting. That's a little easier. But the other thing that's true is this. Moses sitting down makes it easier for friends to come alongside him to hold his hands up. Moses sitting down. Makes it easier for someone else to come alongside and hold his hands up, because he's not quite as high, right? It's, it's easier for Aaron and her to come alongside him and help him, my friends. Because Soaring is a group project, soaring often begins with sitting. Soaring begins with sitting down in a community and saying, I'm gonna be known here. I'm willing to be honest here. I'm willing to be vulnerable here. I'm, I'm willing to get help and give help in order to soar with this community. We get uh, emails and phone calls all the time from people in our local community that aren't a part of our church, that are at Rephidim. Like they can't pay the bills, their medical crisis, their family's falling apart. We get random emails, random calls from people all over the place that, that, that have nowhere else to turn. And because they haven't sat down in any church community, they're calling a random church that they don't know anybody at. And they're asking for stuff. And listen, we're glad that we pay bills all the time. We pray for people all the time that we never hear from again, that we have no idea about my friends. That's not soaring. That's just getting by. And there's a difference, and you know it, right? There's getting by, whoo, diving safe. Someone paid the bill for me. And there's soaring. People that I know and love have come alongside me in an hour of need. They've cared for me. They've prayed for me. Yeah, they paid the bill, but they also heard 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 my story, cried with me, walked with me, help me to think about how I don't get into this again, or help me to figure out better paths forward. That, my friends, is soaring, not just getting by. Because soaring is a group project. Soaring begins with sitting down. We sit in community. We open ourselves up. We make ourselves available to people around us that we might soar, both that you can help people and that you can ask for help when... You need it. And what I find here at Chatham Community Church, one of our superpowers is this. We are awesome at helping other people soar. If you're in trouble and you let us know about it, here's what we'll do. We'll show up with a leaf blower, a uh, shop vac, we'll shovel the we'll shovel the snow, we'll mow the lawn, we'll fix the gutters, we'll bring an, a deck of Uno cards for the kids, we'll bring an apple pie and an ice sculpture for the living room, just to make it prettier. If you need help, we got all kinds of people who love jumping in and help, but we can't do what we're terrible at is asking for help. Asking for help? No. That's such a habit for some of us, right? And at its, at its most extreme, for those of us who just can't ask for help, like you've got some sort of mental, emotional block to this, there's a lot of pride mixed in that, isn't there? Like, not wanting to really need anybody. It's a little counterintuitive right it's a little counterintuitive this whole sort of soaring begins with sitting and sitting down means that you're willing to be kind of open and honest that I can't stand on my own all the time that I need other people in our lives and besides there's work to do and and, and, we, and there's a couple of different constituencies here at our church in Chatham County that we love Some of you live on five acres and five, and five to 50 acres and no neighbors for a reason people are annoying they talk too much they smell bad. They got quirks. Some of you live on 5 to 50 acres because you don't want to be bothered with people. You want to like tend to the chickens and the farm and the little build your outbuildings and do your hobbies. Because animals are way easier to manage than people. And they're much less intrusive. And my friends, that's great. Like some of you have, like, are, are super independently minded. You'd rather not be bothered with people. And that's a gift and beautiful until it's not anymore. Until you can't soar because you got nobody around you to help you to soar. Because soaring is a group project, and the only way that we soar when we're in that point of crisis at Rephidim is if we're willing to be in community with people who help us to soar, to share their strength, their gifts, their abilities. The first step for some of you in the group project of soaring is to be willing to sit down in a community with people and actually be a part of that community. Now, some of us don't live on five to 50 acres with no neighbors. Some of you lived in planned communities and you could put your hand on one outside wall and touch the other outside wall with the other hand, right? You know who I'm talking about, Bar Chapel, right here. And there's a different, there are different cultural pressures there. The cultural pressures in suburbia land are polish and busyness. I'm too busy for community, i got too many things to do. And I have this sort of socially, mediated, social media crafted, perfect look. Like, I never have a bad hair day. My kids are always perfect. Every vacation is always Shangri-La, joyous at every possible moment. And my kids are always spectacular. And sitting down in community means being willing to sort of put that aside and say, sometimes I have bad hair days. Sometimes I have bad marriage days. Sometimes my kids are a train wreck and I don't really like them that much. Soaring requires sitting. And there's going to be forces that are going to push you away from sitting. No matter what your temperament is, whether you're on 50 acres or no neighbors, or you're right here in Bride Chapel, there's a part of you that doesn't want to be open to that. You're going to push that away. But my friends, when you're at Rephidim, the only way you can soar is if you're willing to sit down. This is an invitation in the church community in general that you might find a place here. My hope, my prayer is when, not if, you end up at Rephidem in the next six weeks, next six months, or next six years, there's people here that you know and that you love and that know you and love you, that you invested in enough that they're able to come alongside you and care for you. And not only that, not only care for you, but that you are open and willing to serve other people, to bring your gifts, your strength, your abilities to other people who are at Rephidem next week when you're not there, that's fine, that's great. You're able to come alongside them and care for them. And of course, this is also an invitation into small groups that you might be willing to sit in a small group, to be a part of a community of people who become your people. These are your people. When it all falls apart, they're Rephidim. These are the people who know you and love you and come alongside you. But that sitting down is just the first step. Sitting down is just the first step. Notice that after Aaron, I mean Aaron and... Her bring the stone, and Moses is down. There's there's another step that's more intimate and more vulnerable. They come alongside him, and they hold up his arms. They literally they figure they literally touch his arms. And for some of you, you feel the cringe of people violating your personal space, right? The closer people get, the more some of you kind of start to get like goosebumps and revolted. Aaron and her physically hold up Moses's arms in a extreme violation of personal space in order to help him to soar. See, it's one thing to say, I gotta have a seat. Find a community. It's another thing to say, I'm at Rephidim and I need you to hold my arms up. It's one thing to say, hey look at my people. I'm so glad I got some people. It's another thing to say, I need your help right here, right now. I was talking about this actually Friday night. I was at the uh, Northwood Seaforth football game. And uh, there's a woman in our church who will remain nameless talking to me about how wonderful her small group was on Friday night. And uh, and she was sharing me her her story. She's a single mom. Uh, A year ago, she was doing a local move. And she's like, My small group was so great. My small group was so great. And they kept offering to help me move. And I kept fending them off and pushing them away for weeks. I kept pushing them off and fending them away. And finally, I woke up and realized, Why am I doing this? They want to help. Why am I pushing everybody away? It was just so reflexive, it was just so instinctive to push people away. It's, I'm doing it myself, I'm doing it myself. The I'm doing it myself mantra was actually putting a whole bunch of work and stress on her and she actually had to essentially ask for forgiveness and say, you know what, I've been doing this stupid thing all by myself and I don't need to do it. These people are inviting me and there's healthy roundies around there, right? But but man, she said, when I let them in, it changed everything. It, it takes sometimes, at Rephidim especially, You need to borrow other people's strength, other people's wisdom, and even other people's faith to say, can you help me to stay oriented toward God in the midst of this crisis? Sometimes you have to borrow, lease, rent to own other people's faith to say, I can't believe right now. Can you help me to believe? I can't pray right now. Can you help me to pray? Would you pray for me? I don't have words. Sometimes you got to borrow other people's trucks cars to move stuff around sometimes you need to lean in to others and god gives us each other that we might soar even especially at Rephidim. i've been in small groups at peers in my life where uh, we're all sitting together right weekend and week out and it comes out months later that like this marriage is falling apart this person over here is falling apart and they haven't said anything for months we're all sitting together right there inviting people to share but it's too it was too hard for them to say hey i need we need help keeping our arms up we're in trouble help us And not everybody needs to know everybody's business, even in a small group. I've been in small groups where someone's marriage is falling apart, and there's two or three of us that are all up in the weeds, and the rest of the small group gets the notes version, right? Just a short, like, yeah, we're in trouble. We're meeting with with Alex. We're meeting these people. They're praying with us. But we just want you all to know, would you be praying for us and with us? Regardless how it works out, soaring is a group project, especially at Rephidem. And so there's going to be times when you're going to be Moses and you're going to need someone else to hold your arms up, to keep you oriented toward God, attending to God, asking God to sort of fill you with his grace and mercy when everything else is going sideways. And there's going to be times when you need to be Aaron and her to come alongside others and help that person hold their arms up. And there's times when you're going to be Joshua out there on the field, taking the risk, hoping and praying that God shows up. But regardless of how it plays out in different seasons of our lives, You will end up at Rephidim. And the question is when you end up at Rephidim, will you have positioned yourself in such a way that you have your people, people who know you, people who love you, people that you have trust with, that you can say to them, hey, I need some help here, guys. I need someone else to hold my hands up, my arms up. Will you have that? When, not if, you hit your season at Refidem. Today's wildly important take home. Soaring is a group project, especially in places like Refidem. Soaring often requires the strength and energy of other folks. And so I want to invite you to sort of find those places to, 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 to position yourself in those difficult seasons. And so my friends, you want to do that. Position yourself in community both to get help and to give help? To be willing to have a seat alongside a couple of people or a small group of people to do both get help and give help. Some of you have no problems giving help. You have problems receiving help. And so working on that, being aware of that, being available for both those. Both those are stretching in different kinds of ways. Are you willing to put yourself in community both to get help and give help? Small groups are the primary way we do that around here. Megan walked you through the small group sign-up sheet. There is a small group concierge outside in the lobby. They would love to talk with you about sort of life in small groups. And we're doing more different kinds of small groups this fall than ever before because we have more people than ever before who want to get involved with small groups. So we're doing a Sunday night small group, which is new here. We we had one for a while. It was on pause, and we're rebooting that. And in a couple weeks, we're going to start a Sunday, like a Sunday school kind of vibe for like six, seven weeks during the second service, particularly for, for older folks who don't like to drive at night for small groups. So that's going to be available for a place to find community and get plugged in. I'm experimenting with a once a month get together for people who are just super busy with kids activities all throughout the week. But if you need like a once a month, like who are my people? How do I connect? Like once a month, we're going to get together on a Sunday night probably here at the church and we're just going to kind of check in, pray for each other, do a light Bible study. But but these are your people. You need to have people when you're at Rephidim. When things go sideways, it's all falling apart. And so I want to invite you to find a place to plug in and make a home. Be willing to ask others to help you to stay oriented toward the Lord in difficult times, to help you to source. There's gotta be, this vulnerability to that, an openness to that, like finding others to help you stay oriented toward the Lord, and then be willing to come alongside others to help them in difficult times, to help them stay oriented and kinda ordered toward the Lord in order that y'all might soar. My friends, my hope and my prayer for all y'all, whether you're at Rephidim right now, right here, or you're gonna be in Rephidim six weeks or six months from now, my hope and my prayer is that you might have people around you who are your people come alongside you, pray for you, care for you, encourage you so that you individually and that we as a church might soar, good days, bad days, hard situations, great ones. Would we be people who are committed to walking together, orienting and organizing our lives in such a way that we're fully devoted to God together and individually, that we might soar. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for the invitation to community and uh, I pray for my friends here who struggle with this, for whom this is hard, who've had bad experiences and found people to be disappointing and letting them down. Lord Jesus, I pray for, um, for them, that they might be at peace, that you might open them up in new ways. I pray for my friends who are here today who are at Rephidim. Would you meet them this morning? This morning, would the songs sing in their hearts? Would they leave here full of the Spirit, encouraged by who you are and how much you love them? Lord, I pray for our small groups. We pray they would genuinely be places where people find other people that will help them to soar, good days and bad days, hard times especially. And Lord, would our small groups be full, populated with, with people who are willing to sacrifice and give time, energy, even faith to someone else to pray for them, come alongside, care for them. Lord Jesus, would you help us to soar, especially at Refedem, together in community? We ask this in your strong and mighty name. Amen. Amen and amen.